and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast and it's number 176 and it's the week before Easter here in the UK which means a day off so only four days to do the same amount of work. I'm sure you can relate. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter and it would be great to take advantage of that four-day weekend but unfortunately not everyone in the family gets time off so it's another regular weekend coming up although the forecast does look good. One day I'll learn not to trust it. I'm still in the middle of the school holiday for Easter and discovering that there may be more videos on YouTube than there are molecules in the universe. One other unfortunate side effect of a holiday, wherever it is, is that the number of press releases goes down. I was going to say I'll be able to relax with a couple of days off, but that's when I'm supposed to tackle that to-do list that I should rename a didn't-do list. I always blame being in the media as to why I need a deadline before I do something. I know it's a pretty sad excuse. So I should let you know who we have on the podcast this week. It's a little bit shorter than usual, probably also a reflection of a long weekend coming up. We talked to Claire Price, Innovation Manager for Dairy at DSM. And we also have a conversation with Alberto Pecorari, head of the Institutional Office of the Parmigiano-Reggiano Consortium. And we have our weekly update on the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. And that brings us to this week's news on Dairy Reporter that you may have missed. In the UK, First Milk is launching an on-farm sales venture with vending machines. Amcor launched Recycle Ready Packaging for Cheese. And N2 Applied Treated Slurry eliminates the need for chemical fertilizers. Palm-free fat supplementation research results were revealed at Dairy Tech 2022. Nexium Botanicals is entering the food and beverage space and a new HMO study looks to next generation infant formula. Flavorchem unveiled its new thermal processing pilot plant. An ice cream factory is Mars Wrigley's first facility powered entirely by renewable energy. And First Milk was in the news again as it extended its partnership with Onua Foods UK. The IDF Nutrition and Health Symposium will focus on childhood to aging populations and more international workers are being accepted to help address New Zealand's dairy staff shortage. EMI's general meeting in Switzerland approved all the proposals. A new Alpha Laval Think Top Pulse Seat Clean for drain valves saves up to 95% in CIP liquid. And you can read all of these and plenty more at DairyReporter.com. And that brings us to this week's first interview. A few weeks ago, we ran an article on the Parmigiano-Reggiano Consortium, which has announced a partnership with Kasmerk Matek and P-Chip Corporation to launch a line of food-safe and secure traceability digital labels for its Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese wheels. To tell us more about it is Alberto Pecorari, head of the institutional office of the Parmigiano-Reggiano Consortium. Um, so if you could tell me something about some of the current issues around traceability and food safety and how you've dealt with that previously? Firstly, I would like to note that Parmigiano-Reggiano is a product that is 100% safe. 
is uh, thanks to its uh, traditional uh, production technique uh, that consists of several steps uh, to allow for conditions such that anti-caseous bacteria cannot develop. First of all, uh, we have uh, the slow cooking uh, of the cheese curd, which takes place uh, for about uh, one hour and uh, reach temperature of about uh, 55 degrees. It's similar to a sort of pasteurization. Then there is the addition of a whey starter to the milk that is a natural culture of lactic bacteria that helps the acidification of the curd. The third step important is in the immersion of the wheel of cheese for about 20 days in a saturated salt solution. The combination of the, these three steps guarantee the full safety of the Parmigiano-Reggiano that is made in the same cheese-making process and with the same only three ingredients, milk, salt, and it for under the fourth of years. About the traceability and the authenticity, these are key topics of the consortium. First of all, to, to guarantee the consumer that are getting the food they asked for, but also for the, our producer, our dairy, uh, also want to make sure that their brand reputation is protected from uh, fake products that with a lower quality and or a potential safety issue. Speaking about uh, the will of Parmigiano-Reggiano and the traceability of Parmigiano-Reggiano, first of all, we have to see the, on the wheel of cheese the, the following elements. The certification mark, uh, the pin dot wording Parmigiano-Reggiano on the uh, side ring of each wheel. That is uh, important to recognize Parmigiano-Reggiano from other uh, cheeses. The numeric code that identify the, the dairy, the, the producer of Parmigiano-Reggiano, the dairy. There is also the amount and the year of production providing how old the, the cheese is, so the, the age of the, of the cheese. And a casein plate, a casein label, that show a unique alphanumeric code and also a QR code that give the same alphanumeric code for the full product traceability that identify every single wheel. Uh, this plate uh, is uh, usually placed on the flat face of the wheel from uh, board. We have also an electronic register in consortium in which uh, every day the dairies have to fill in with uh, all the production. They have to insert all the alphanumeric code uh, used on the wheel. So we have all the production of the 300, more or less 300 dairies. And also from our consortium website, it is possible to know from searching by case plate number to know who is the dairy, the producer. So could you tell me a little about the new partnership and how that came about? First of all, consortium continually scan the market for solutions which can ensure the traceability, the quality, it can improve also the quality and the brand protection of Parmigiano-Reggiano, and also for a solution that uh, pushed the limits of our current technologies. These limitations mainly concerned the legibility, the readability of the current casein label. Uh, the wheels of Parmigiano-Reggiano can age for up to 40 months or more, 
and are in direct contact with external environments. During this long period, the casein plate can undergo deformations or get dirty, and this limits its readability. So we were contacted by a chip company that had a, a new solution. So we started uh, working together uh, with uh, this uh, new idea that can uh, exceed the, our problems, actually problems. And so what do the other partners bring to this relationship? The three actors are uh, Consortio, Pchip Company, and uh, Casmer Matek. Uh, Pchip uh, is uh, the technology provider and also the patent uh, owner of this uh, new technology. But uh, this chip uh, would be uh, useless without the suitable support for the application of the microtransponder. So this is uh, where Casmer Matek comes uh, into play. Casmer Matek is a producer of uh, casein cheese marks in Europe and uh, since 2002 has been supplying the consorts with uh, the casein and the, the actual casein uh, that are applied on the wheel of Parmigiano-Reggiano. The casein label, uh, casein is uh, the, the milk protein that is uh, safe and edible and uh, when it's uh, added to the cheese uh, is integrated into the into the rind of, of the of the cheese. The the casein label uh, is applied on the cheese at the beginning of the production process, and uh, it turned out that uh, they are the perfect option to host uh, the pit chip, uh, the microtransponder on the cheese. Matek, quindi Casmer Matek, is currently working together to Pichip a company to robotize the production line and allow the chip to be automatically inserted uh, inside the casein plate. Casmer Matek and Pichip work together to create a tag which combines traditional analog tracking methods with a new uh, digital innovation. The combination of these two elements serves as certificates of authenticity that help cheese producers protect their investment and identify and provide confidence to consumers that they are receiving the composition, taste and quality they expect. And could you explain a bit about the, the process and the technology behind this? This invention improved, uh, obviously, the current uh, traceability technology that uh, was introduced in 2002 with uh, the casein label. The result is uh, an uh, innovative food safe digital tag. The P-chip uh, is a very, very small, uh, teeny microtransponder about the size of uh, a grain of uh, fine salt. It's made of silicon and it is, uh, that is uh, safe for uh, food contact. And uh, it is uh, activated using uh, a laser reader, which uh, records uh, the serial number of the cheese in a cloud database. The chip is uh, impossible to duplicate or counterfeit, unlike a QR code that can be duplicated. This chip can uh, tolerate physical and thermal uh, stress, and uh, hold up against solvents and reagents. So for this reason, we can uh, apply in our uh, cheese-making process because uh, it tolerates to five degrees and also the immersion in, in a salt uh, solution. The P-chip, uh, how does it work? When it is detected by a laser reader, 
transfer ID reference, the date, the time of the detection and the location to the software or blockchain where all other documents or cheese information are stored. Now that you have this new system, how will this help with safety and traceability? The device is integrated into the casein label. So the innovation combines food safe casein labels with the P-chip microtransponder. So this scannable new food tag so is smaller and in particular is highly durable, delivering next generation and stability to the concept of return. This new technology has uh, some advantage uh, compared to the actual uh, standard casein plate. The chip is less subject to wear. It can be scanned with uh, a laser reader at distance without having uh, to move the wheel uh, in the QR code. It can potentially contain a lot of information about the milk, the cows, and the farmers that are not available now, but can implement it in the future. The chip allows us to locate the wheel of cheese through the scanning reader. The P-chip provides also other advantages. There is a certain and safe data compared to reading. It cannot be counterfeited. Uh, the production of Parmigiano-Reggiano in the dairies can be acquired and recorded in real time. The possibility of acquiring the, the data of the wheel, uh, the wheels during the maturation and in the movement of the wheels between warehouses. The possibility of acquiring the data of the phones by operator who create or person the, the, the Parmigiano-Reggiano. The P-chip can connect various pieces of information not now uh, available, but in the future. And so what does this mean for the end consumer of the product and also to stores and restaurants that use it? This technology improves uh, Parmigiano-Reggiano's traceability and uh, especially is important for operators and traders. Until now, we, we spoke about uh, the trustability of the wheel of cheese of Parmigiano-Reggiano. For the end of, of consumers, uh, it is important uh, to recognize Parmigiano-Reggiano, the authenticity of Parmigiano-Reggiano, to look, uh, first of all, the, the pin uh, dot written Parmigiano-Reggiano on the end, but also if we speak uh, about uh, the packaging of the Parmigiano-Reggiano, look for uh, the European PDO logo, and also the Parmigiano-Reggiano Consortium logo. These are three elements uh, that are fundamental if you want to ensure that you are buying uh, Parmigiano-Reggiano. Remember that also the specification of Parmigiano-Reggiano, our standard of production, states that all the operation of grating, cutting, and also packaging of Parmigiano-Reggiano has to take place exclusively in the area of origin of the Parmigiano-Reggiano by operator that should be certified and authorized by the consortium. So the consumer is guaranteed by this element. And is this technology that you will continue to work on? Uh, yes, this technology has a great potential and we are still at an early stage of development. We believe that uh, potentially this technology can be applied to every piece of Parmigiano-Reggiano in the future. So we are not yet, but this is something that technology will make possible. We would like to provide the end consumer with all the relevant information about uh, 
the piece of Parmesan Reggiano that they are buying. So not only that is certified Parmesan Reggiano, but also who made it, when, from which cows, and so on. And this is possible if we use a technology that brings from the, the beginning to the end all the information of the cheese. Now we're talking about yogurt cultures. Royal DSM has launched four new DelvoGuard bioprotective cultures to enable yogurt manufacturers to naturally extend shelf life. With all the details is Claire Price, Innovation Manager for Dairy at Royal DSM. I wonder what the issues are with yogurt when it comes to waste. Yeah, so yogurt is is a really popular uh, staple food around the world and um, it's made by transforming milk with starter cultures, and then you get yogurt. And this acid production by the starter cultures uh, lowers the pH of the milk, which already keeps a lot of unwanted bacteria, yeast, and molds at bay. But having said that, the dairy industry still has significant food waste challenges to overcome. So, for example, if we just look in Europe, 20% of dairy products are lost or wasted every year. And particularly for yogurt, what's very interesting is that a lot of the yogurt waste actually happens after the consumers have purchased the product. So apparently about 9%, which we learned from interviews, uh, people are wasting their yogurt at home. So spoiled yogurt won't actually cause much harm to people, but it does impact the product's appearance. It impacts the taste, uh, which means that it's likely to be thrown away. And this waste can occur at any time uh, if the yogurt is contaminated with unwanted yeast or molds. Uh, For example, if there's an interruption in the cold chain. So if there's a period of time that the yogurt isn't cold, you have a temporary temperature increase, uh, this can lead to more yeast and molds. Uh, The other cause can be, for example, the fruit that's added that can also exasperate the problem with yeast and molds. And in the end, anything that causes a dairy product to be disposed of in whatever form, it's wasting the resources that we use to make it. So that we can say, you know, from the feed that's going to the cow, to the yogurt production, to the energy that was used in the cold storage, that's all being wasted every time somebody throws their yogurt away. And with a growing population, and uh, also we see that the global supply chain is becoming more and more strained, we just can't afford this kind of uh, waste. Do you think, going off topic a little bit, do you think that yeah. people know when yogurt is spoiled? Because I know there are a lot of people that as soon as the liquid starts to separate, they start to think, oh, it's going off. Do you think that there's enough knowledge as to when something is edible and when it isn't edible? No, I don't think that there is enough knowledge. I know that uh, retailers are working now with differentiating between a best before date and can be consumed until. So when it's a food safety issue, then that date should be interpreted by consumers really as the last date that they should eat a product. But another one is, you know, the product quality is guaranteed up until a certain point. But after that, it does not mean that the product is not safe to consume anymore. But if we're specifically talking about yeast and molds and yogurt, I think that that's a very difficult concept to get over to a customer that, well, if you just scoop off the top, as bad as it looks, you're probably going to be able to eat the bottom part. Uh, I think that with yeast and molds, uh, we really want to prevent them in the first place rather than educate the consumer to only throw away half and, and eat the other half. So when it comes to addressing waste in yogurt, what are some of the issues in actually addressing waste? 
Yeah, I mean, in the end, it's always good to start with the basics. Good hygiene is the basic for all dairy manufacturing. However, what we see is that even with good hygiene, you can't prevent all spoilage, especially if we consider when there are breaks in the cold chain. And in fact, given enough time, spoilage is inevitable. These products are fresh, so they will spoil. Um, but if you can extend a yogurt shelf life, then you can have a significant impact on reducing the waste um, where it's happening in the most in the case of yogurt, which is at our homes. Um, and there are a lot of uh, effective preservatives on the market, but many of these are synthetic and the consumers are looking for food and beverage products specifically with a shorter, more recognizable ingredient list. Um, and we've seen this with how popular the word natural is in yogurt. It was actually number one for new launches. And so there's this then this sort of healthy tension between the current solutions and what consumers are looking for. And that's where we think that bioprotective cultures come in, that this is a really excellent option to improve the microbiology quality of the yogurt, which basically means we're preventing spoilage and waste. Um, and bioprotective cultures actually been on the market for some years now. So, you know, where's the issue there? What we've seen is that it can be difficult to balance the taste with extending the shelf life and different producers have different spoilage organisms and they have different flavor profile requirements. So even with uh, some of the solutions on the market, there's not a one size that fits all solution. Uh, and that's why we worked on expanding and improving our bioprotective portfolio uh, with the new Delvergard cultures so that we can really cater to these different needs. And how did you approach solving that? Yeah, so w when we do NPD, we always start with a consumer need. So in this case, it's the demand for the non-chemical solutions that prevent yogurt waste. Um, and we pair this deep market understanding with our strong R&D capabilities. So at DSM in this instance, it's about the knowledge of environmental and dairy microbiology. And we have a team of dairy specialists. These dairy specialists and microbiologists know that microorganisms coexist and compete in natural environments. It's a battle between the good and the bad bacteria that humans have been using for thousands of years to preserve food. And this expertise has enabled DSM to build a diverse portfolio of cultures and strains over the years uh, that contains plenty of biological diversity. And if we can tap into that biological diversity, we can develop new cultures designed specifically to support uh, this consumer demand for naturally derived solutions that suppress the growth of yeast and molds. So how did we do this? What we do is that we actually test a range of these different culture strains via screening campaigns. And then we have experts that know how to downscale, so how to make miniature versions of things, how to automate these screening processes. And that allows you to shift through these large collections of cultures to find the right strains. And then once we found these strains that have the right characteristics in terms of, for example, their ability to stop the growth of molds, we then carry out several application trials at our application center in the Netherlands. And we also conduct these trials in collaboration with customers. And then only when we're satisfied with the performance of those new cultures, do we then scale them up in our production sites and then uh, prepare them as final products for the market. And what are the new Delvo Guard cultures designed to achieve? So what they're designed in essence is to extend the shelf life of fermented dairy products and then help combat the food waste. And we're talking mainly about yogurt, uh, although these products can be used in other dairy products as well. 
And, and when you're wanting to extend shelf life, it's about a careful balance of taste, texture, pricing, and also label requirements. And what you also don't want to do is affect existing manufacturing processes. And why we think that the Delva Guard cultures are so special is that we're able to meet this long list of requirements. The cultures are used together with the starter cultures, um, and they ensure the best taste, texture, and what we call post-acidification during the shelf life, which is the maintenance of the pH. Um, and when you develop yogurt, manufacturers need to man manage a number of different interactions. There's the milk that they're using, any variation in the season in that milk, their processing conditions, the starter cultures that they're using. Are they adding any other ingredients? Are they adding probiotics? Do they have functional requirements, for example, lactose-free? And all of this needs to be addressed when you truly want to meet the customer's culture expectations. And so the new additions that we've made to the Delvergard range help producers meet the requirements better than ever before. And you mentioned that it's a range of cultures. What are the differences between them? Yeah, so our range is designed to give our customers choice, depending on their needs in terms of spoilage prevention, but also the final flavor profile that they are acquiring. So as such, the different cultures differ in their contribution to flavor and post-acidification. All of them have high and consistent spoilage prevention, but we know that specifically the Delvo Guard 301 and 302 are our two cultures that offer the maximum amount of protection. We also then have the 303, which has these protective properties and can really help extend the shelf life, even under challenging conditions. And then we have the 304 and 305, which uh, are special in their post-acidification impact. It's particularly low for these cultures, so you minimize the taste impact while still providing uh, protection against microbial spoilage. And I guess, as you mentioned earlier, there's no one-size-fits-all because there's really not one kind of yogurt. You've got thin, you've got Greek, you've got drinking yogurt, you've got with lots of fruit, not much fruit. So there's so many different kinds. How do you address all of that? Absolutely. And there's also another um, another part of, of the equation is what is the spoilage organism or organisms that's causing their problem in their particular manufacturing facility or particular region that they're working with. Um, and that's why we have these different options. So we know the impact that these different or the contribution that these different cultures make to flavor and to texture. So what we do then in the with the customers, we have the in-depth discussion with them on what their needs are. What kind of product are they making? Where does it fall in terms of its flavor profile? Is it a very outspoken flavor or are they looking for a very mild flavor? Also in terms of texture, are they using other stabilizers? Are they relying fully on the culture to give, for example, a full mouthfeel? And in that way, we can advise them on then which of the Delvo Guard range would best suit their needs. And do you also have a range or anything that's suitable for plant-based dairy or yogurt alternatives? Yeah, I can only say watch the space. We don't have anything on the market yet. What kind of benefits can yogurt manufacturers see using these new cultures? Yeah, so what they're going to see is that these cultures give them increased protection against unwanted yeast and mold, specifically on the growth in their yogurt products. And that's what is then uh, delivering a longer shelf life while still preserving the taste and texture profile that they want in their product. That way, our customers, so the yogurt manufacturers, can have a positive impact on the sustainability goals of their companies and also give their customers, so the consumers, a more enjoyable experience. 
Um, we think that producers can deliver a better balance in quality, taste, texture and shelf life extension more than the current market offerings, specifically also because we now have these extra cultures that have the lower post acidification. And they're all easy to use. They are all available in a one bag, direct vat culture format, which means that they can be added in the production process in exactly the same way as any other starter culture. And so how will all of this impact the end consumer? So in the end, what we want are consumers that have a yogurt product that is fresher for longer in their refrigerator. Uh, we want them to be able to enjoy their eating experience and we want them to be able to throw away less of their products, preferably none of their products, due to quality or spoilage concerns. Um, and this is also specifically applicable to customers that enjoy fruited yogurt, but also customers that like to buy a big format. So they have large containers which will be open in their refrigerators for a longer period of time. These are also consumers that we think can really notice the benefit of having a yogurt that is fresher for longer. And you mentioned that this is a very easy to use product. Is it something that can be easily added to existing lines in the processing plant? Yes, definitely. They're very easy to use. Uh, as I mentioned already, they come in a one bag format as a direct vat culture, which can be added to the production process at actually the same time as they're adding their starter culture. So you do not need any additional processing steps. Um, they fit seamlessly into an existing production process. And if the operators are used to handling starter cultures, they will understand the process of using the Delvo Guard bioprotective cultures. Also in terms of shipment, storage, inoculation in the milk, these bioprotective cultures are handled in exactly the same way as starter cultures. There are additional costs compared to just using a starter culture, but these costs are balanced by reducing waste and adding extra days to a product shelf life. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. Morning, Charlie. Hi, Jim. The dairy markets continue to be really challenging. It's been a, just a roller coaster over the last number of weeks. If we take European butter as an example, we've we've seen in March some really, really extreme price moves on the way up to get up and at or close to all-time record highs again. And and in the first two weeks of April, we've we've seen quite a quick reversal in that. I mean, prices dropped close to a thousand euros uh, in some periods only to, to find a floor and start to rebound again over the last few days uh, a little bit higher. So it's it's been just extremely volatile. Um, part of the reason, I guess, for the, for the sell-off in, in early April is we've seasonally started to produce a bit of extra milk around Europe and some of the demand coming in towards Easter has abated with, uh, with cream demand coming back a little bit. So that's probably what tipped it. Um, normally, we know these things are going to happen, so they have much less of an impact on the market. But at the moment, it seems like any move at all is extreme. And it's it's a real sign of evidence that there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. Um, the stock positions are, are clearly low and tight. Uh, so when it does fall off, like it did in the last uh, couple of weeks, there is a point when it stops and, and can reverse quickly um, because, again, there's just not a lot of stock out there. So just a very difficult time uh, to kind of forecast. Uh, you know, when you're looking around at the milk collections in Europe, there is some positive signs coming from some areas. Uh, we've seen Danish milk collections come in uh, this week, which were a little bit better than, than forecast. 
Um, there's also, I guess, a growing expectation that with these really high milk prices uh, starting to filter through, there will be some uh, supply response from that. But I think the biggest thing weighing on the market is the concerns right now over the demand side. There we've seen some evidence from, from retail sales in France and Germany that the uh, sales of virtually all dairy products uh, have decreased, um, notably the likes of butter. We've seen year-on-year decreases of about 10% um, on retail sales. But but we have to be conscious that we're lapping over a, per- a period of time where a lot of Europe was in lockdown. So it's very different fundamental market in terms of demand side there. So there's there's a risk of reading too much into headline numbers. Also, I guess there's a bit of concern at the moment around the lockdown situation, which is happening in China. Um, It looks like things are getting worse there at the moment. There's about 45 cities, I think, that are in full or partial lockdown. That's as of uh, kind of 11th, 12th of April, Um, which kind of, and there are pretty major cities represent maybe 27, sorry, 26% of the population, but probably 40% of the GDP. So quite significant in terms of overall impact that'll have on on Chinese demand. Um, And then when we look at just the general kind of mood around the international markets, there's a a GDT last week was was slightly lower. There's one expected for next week again, currently forecasting to be slightly down as well as as these high prices do tend to uh, be impacting the demand picture globally. So in summary, still not very clear. I mean, I think most people will accept that the stock situation is very low internationally still. So when we do move back in prices, there's a limit to how low we can go uh, until those stocks get replenished. Um, Still some positive signs in terms of milk collections, but not enough yet to be confident that we're really going to get enough supply to really rebalance the market. So so just an expected continuation of very challenging and volatile markets for the foreseeable future. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Charlie, as always. StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that does it for episode 176 of the Dairy Dialogue podcast. Obviously, Easter isn't celebrated in every country in the world, and even in places where it is, it's not necessarily a public holiday. So, wherever in the world you may be, I hope you have a great week, stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening.